What a powerful time of worship, amen? Are you guys getting settled into the new digs? Loving it, loving it that you are here with us. Well, I, they say you should never start a talk off with an apology, but I'm going to have to start with an apology right from the get-go. I want to apologize to you because according to deathclock.com, my date of death is going to be on Sunday, August the 28th, in, uh, and that is 2044. And uh, I plugged my information into their website a little bit as I've been doing research as we're continuing our series called Monsters Under the Bed. And, well, that's the date that they came up with me. That's, that's whenever I'm supposed to expire. And uh, so you might want to go ahead and put that, put that on your calendar, okay? Put it on your calendar. Get your phones out. I know I can assure you it's on my calendar because if it's on the internet, it's true, right? If it's on the internet, you know that that is true. And uh, I'm apologizing to you up front because, well, it's on a Sunday and, well, that might make for a little awkward sermon that day. And uh, could be a great sermon illustration, I don't know. And then I, I started thinking a little bit. I said, you know what? I could say whatever I want to say on that day. I could just go all Old Testament prophet up on some people in here this morning and not have to worry about a single email the next day. That would be fantastic to get to do that. Now, yeah, on that website, if, if the date itself doesn't like kind of mess you up a little bit when you kind of start calculating, they actually put a, the clock up there and the seconds start ticking off. They're rolling off. And what I realize is this, is, is you can't get any of those seconds back, right? Those seconds are going, right? That's minutes. That's minutes. Now, on their website, it's purely just seconds, all right? And I had like 1,800,000, something like that, okay? But the seconds are continuing to count down, and I realize that I can't stop them. Tick, tick, tick. I'm, lo I'm losing seconds as I'm talking to you at this very moment. And the truth is, we know this, that we, we could, I could live longer, or I could, I could live a little shorter. It could be a little shorter time. I mean, just if a couple of months ago, and this is no joke, I was nearly in a head-on collision coming to church on a Sunday morning on the road out by my house. That nearly happened a couple of months ago. That was kind of a wake-up call that it could be your number at any particular time, right? We just don't know. We don't have that information. We don't, we don't have an expiration date that is stamped on, our, on the bottom of our foot. That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? If you were looking, that's your expiration date. That's not something that with that information that we have. We just, obviously, they don't know the exact date, but here is an inconvenient truth. Here is the harsh reality. Here's what it is, is that we all do have a date, right? That's the reality. They don't know when the real date is, but the point is, and I know it's kind of a, a morbid website, and I think it's meant a little bit as a joke, but the reality is this, is that we all do have a date. We all have a date, and the other reality is that those seconds really are ticking off. They really are rolling down, and we don't have any control over that whatsoever. And, you know, only God knows the when, right? Only God knows the when. And, and I know for a lot of people, because of that, that is an unknown, and as we're talking about unknowns, and we're talking about fears that we're struggling with, uh, as God only knows that, for a lot of people, that scares us. 
And it's difficult for us to deal with that. And, and we don't know information. And, and you know, and I, the other part, though, that's, that's out of our control is the how. The when is out of our control, but the how. And, and I told Hope this week, we were talking, and I was saying, you know, I'm not really so much scared about the when of when that may happen because I, I'm secure in where my eternal destination is going to be because of the grace of God. So I'm not concerned so much about that, but, but you know, the how is what kind of, kind of gets me a little bit. And Woody Allen said this, he said, I don't mind dying, I just don't want to be there when it happens, all right? And I thought, that's brilliant, exactly. And I got to thinking about what might be the way that the Lord takes me home and automatically, what do you think came to my mind? Yeah, I mean, the scariest part to me was like, and my mind just kept racing with this and I'm like, I'm going to Hawaii in the summer to celebrate my 25-year wedding anniversary with Hope. I don't know if you guys know, but Hawaii is an island. I plan on snorkeling. And I'm like, oh, is, this, is this really the way? Is this going to happen? I've been traumatized by this kind of thought ever, you know, ever since I was a kid and I first saw Jaws, and I've been thinking about that ever since. Maybe it won't be a shark. All right, if you stay out of the water, you don't have to worry about that unless the land shark that I talked about a few weeks ago, Saturday Night Live, land shark. Um, or for me, I've nearly been run over running a lot. I like to run, and, and I've nearly been run over uh, a couple of times by, by folks. And uh, the, the scary part about that is whenever you nearly hit me, I saw your EVC bumper sticker as you were driving away. <laughs> Death by church member, right? Or, or maybe it's getting locked into the dumpster area at our new facility. That might, I'm not, I'm not like totally admitting this, but that may or may not have happened to me this week, right Randy? I was taking some trash out and the wind was blowing and I got locked into the new dumpster area and uh, I could have starved to death in there. It's scary in there, man. I could, have, I could have gotten, you know, died of thirst if nobody would have come for me at that point because I, I was too short to climb out. I'm just letting you know. And I'm glad I had my phone. But let me say the worst part of all was me. I don't know if it would have been worse dying or having to call Randy to come let me out, okay? And he shows up with my wife. He gets her to come over there to the dumpster area. Hope is videoing the whole experience. I'm like, you people. And then he has the audacity at that point while he has me where he wants me to ask me for a raise. That is exactly what he did at that point. But there are all kinds of crazy ways for, for us to, 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 to go, right? There are all kinds of ways, and the truth is, is what we learn from experience, but what we also know mainly from Scripture is this, is that the Scripture tells us that life is brief, life is unpredictable, and then here's another thing, we're not in control. Amen, right? We're not in control. It's brief, unpredictable, and we're not in control. It's a theme that's laced all throughout the scriptures. Now, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5, so go ahead and start turning there now. But here is just a few other passages if you want to look them up on your own or watch on the screen. Psalm 90:12. the psalmist says, teach us to realize the brevity of life. That word teach is also this, remind us. Because we forget and we take it for granted. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. James wrote this, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life, he says. What is your life? For you are a mist, a vapor, 
just you're here and then you're gone. That, that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And you think, well, wow, thanks for blessing us with such cheery verses this morning, Pastor Bart. That's exciting. But the writers of, of, of this, are what they're getting to is not this morbid fascination with death, okay? What these guys are getting at is, is that it is imperative that we, we realize that we must stop presuming, stop presuming upon tomorrow as if we are in control of it as if we have total control and instead what we need to be certain of is this, that we are prepared, you wanna be prepared, that we are living with proper perspective as we're living, okay? That you have, you're prepared, you're living with proper perspective and that you're living as a responsible manager of the amount of time that God gifts to you. That he gives you a certain amount of time and that he wants us to be responsible managers of this because death is indiscriminate, right? It's totally indiscriminate. It doesn't play favorites. A rich man is going to die just like a poor man will. In fact, I've been reading some articles recently and, and you can even see that the rich, the super rich are trying to figure out how to cheat death. They're trying to, they're investing money in research and how to prolong life and to live eternally through their own means. And I thought that was so interesting. But death doesn't care what race you are. It doesn't care what gender you are. It plays no favorites. And it's batting a thousand, isn't it? It's batting a thousand. Scripture says it rains on the just and the unjust just the same. And, 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 and that we have an appointed time. Uh, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews tells us this, and just as each person is destined to die once, that word destined is also appointed. What it means is that we have an appointment. There is an appointed time to die once. And after that, he says, comes judgment. George Bernard Shaw, he remarked this about death. He said the statistics on death have not changed. He said, one out of one person dies. It hasn't changed, it's batting a thousand. So here's something to write down. If you're someone that likes to take notes, I encourage you to do this. Here's something to write down, is that discussions of death disturb us. When we talk about this, it does disturb us, and we typically want to keep death at a distance. It's not something, honestly, that pastors like to talk about. Most of us don't. You know, it's not something that you, we're cheerfully talking about this subject matter, uh, but death has been looming over us as this bully, this bully pushing us around ever since that fateful day in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve decided that they would go their own way rather than God's way. And ever since that point, death has been pushing us around. God told them then, if you do that and you choose your way over my way, which is sin, he said this, in the Hebrew it translates, dying you shall surely die. There's a physical death that's going to happen, but there's also a spiritual death, which means a separation from the God that we were created to be close to. And this is what the scripture tells us. Okay, God said if you do that, you're going to die. The wages of sin, Romans tells us, the wages or the payment or the penalty of sin is death. It's death. That's what the scripture tells us. Because of sin, there is death. And so death has been the bully ever since that day that we chose sin. God forewarned us of that. We chose anyway. The Greek philosopher Aristotle called death the thing to be feared most because it appears to be the end of everything. The French philosopher Sartre said, death removes all meaning from life. 
These are guys that have thought deeply about life and death, right? Uh, Francois Rabelais said as his final words just before he died, listen to these. These are tragic. I'm going into the great perhaps. That that's, was his last thought. That was his last recorded words. I'm going into the great perhaps. Such sad and depressing outlook, right, and a depressing perspective. And, and so when you think of that, if death is nothing more than passing into the great perhaps, no wonder we don't want to talk about it. No wonder we don't want to discuss that or, or contemplate it or, or wonder if it's, if, as Aristotle said, to be feared most above everything, why in the world would you ever want to talk about that? So what ends up happening is that many of us go into a couple of categories if we are, if we are having that kind of disturbed outlook is that we typically produces this kind of extreme when we are put in the place of pondering the reality of our mortality is what we'll say. And we're going to contemplate that. There are people who will just live in denial about it. They'll never give it a thought. These are people who are usually under the age of 40. If you're under 40, would you raise your hands this morning? Raise your hands. Now, I'm looking at some of you right now, and I know you're lying up in this church house right now. And that is not right, okay? But a lot of times, I know that I did not contemplate really. I thought I was invincible, even though I was grossly overweight under the age of 40 and, and just struggled with my weight. But I never really, th I thought I was invincible. And most of us think that way. And then a death happened in our family. And, that, and it, it, it forced me to contemplate my own mortality. Right, and I had to really think about this. And, and, and so a lot of people though will live in absolute denial. We just won't deal with the question. We don't wanna think about it until it's that time and then we're not prepared. Or a lot of people will just live in absolute fear, just sheer terror will, it will come upon them. Thoughts of death, living in hypochondria, pessimism, limitations, never willing to take any kind of risk because they're so fearful of what might happen to them as if death has the final say, kind of like these guys. Watch this. Bob? Yeah? Are you afraid of death? Yeah. Me too. And there's no way out of it. You're going to die. I'm going to die. It's going to happen. And what difference does it make if it's tomorrow or 80 years? Much sooner in your case. Do you know how fast time goes? I was six, like yesterday. Me too. I'm going to die. You are going to die. What else is there to be afraid of? What else is there to be afraid of? Is what he says. Great movie, right? Baby steps, just take baby steps. What else is there to be afraid of? Is what he says, but does death really win in the end? Does it really win? And I want to be clear in what I've been prayerful for all week and for today is that this talk with you today would not be so much a talk about death as much as it would be a talk about life. 
talk about eternal life, a talk about being right with God in your eternal life and, and truly taking the counsel of David who wrote that psalm that said, teach me to be mindful of the brevity of life. Remind me today. And I've been praying that for myself. I've been praying that for you this week. Not that we would live in a spirit of fear. God does not want us living in a spirit of fear. Not living in a spirit of fear regarding death or living in denial about it or having a morbid obsession of it, but understanding the truth of its brevity, understanding how fragile life really is, and then that responsibility that we are given by God to manage this life well with the time that we have. Write this down if you're taking notes. It's hard to love life if you live in fear of death. It's really hard to live life to the fullest if you're constantly in fear of death. And have you ever been on a plane where there was a lot of turbulence, right? And that plane was just shaking everybody up. And it's pretty tough to enjoy the flight when you're on that plane and you're being shaken, right? Why is it so difficult to enjoy that flight? It's hard to enjoy the journey if you don't trust in a safe landing, right? And you're terrified at that moment. What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to us? And it's difficult to find joy and live with the joy that's a gift from God or to find peace and live with that if you are constantly in fear of what your final moments may bring and then what may bring, what may happen to you afterwards. Can we really be at peace? Can we live without fear when it comes to death? Here's our most powerful truth today. Write this down, is this right here. What Christ has done has disarmed death. Amen, right? What he has done, it has been done at the graveside of, of one of Jesus' best friends, Lazarus. Jesus was confronting the reality of what death has done to us and what sin has, uh, has, has really the consequences. It brought death. It brought sorrow. It brought separation of relationships. It was not, we were not created for that. And this sorrow and despair was overwhelming these beloved followers of Jesus. And, and Jesus said these words to Martha, whose brother Lazarus had died. Jesus said in John 11, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will, what does it say, church? Live. He who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Now read the next part with me. What does he say? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And he walked into cemeteries, Jesus did, with a swagger. He walked in. Why? Because his substitutionary payment for our sin on the cross, the, the payment that was owed by us because of our sin, he satisfied the justice of God by taking our sins upon himself on the cross. And then, as if it wasn't enough for when he died on that cross, then he came back to life on the third day as he promised in a glorious resurrection, thus removing the stinger out of death, removing the teeth from the jaws of death, Jesus he, he, he disarmed and neutralized death for us, amen? And we don't have to be afraid. There's nobody that, that understood this truth better than the apostles. Remember how fearful they were uh, after the death of Jesus. And they didn't understand the resurrection yet, and they were cowering in fear. The apostle Paul understood that after the resurrection of Jesus, that death had been disarmed 
And these guys went from being terrified of dying and being persecuted, they went from that to being having this boldness and this courageousness as they went forward with the gospel and, and they lived that kind of life. And listen to the confidence and the perspective that Paul lived with even when he was confronted with the reality of death every day because of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, he says, we now, we now have this light shining. This is the gospel he's talking about. Shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles. Some of you know exactly what that feels like, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, he says, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down. They were literally hunted down for the gospel. People wanted to kill them because of their belief. Do you think that was scary? I think it probably was. We, we've never known that here in America. But not abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. What Paul is saying is this, church, how we suffer in those times of suffering, even in the face of death, is such a powerful testimony to those who do not yet know Christ. The way you look at death, he goes on and he says, yes, we live under constant danger of death. He doesn't say fear of death, does he? Under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the, what? Face of death. But this has resulted in eternal life for you. Paul is saying, we didn't live in fear of death. If we would have been fearful of death, we never would have taken the risk and, and, and did whatever it took to get the gospel to you. And because we were not fearful of death, now your life has been changed. You have the gospel now. And if we would have never been willing to take risk, you would have never heard about Jesus. We continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. Now listen to his confidence. He is confident. We know that God. That is imperative right there. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That is why, he says, we never give up. I don't have to because I'm not living in fear of death. I never give up. I keep pressing through. Though our bodies are dying, he says. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day for our present troubles. And some of us really need to hear this today. If you're going through something, listen to how he describes the troubles, even to the point of death. Our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Praise God, right? Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last. How long will that glory last? Forever. Eternity. 
So we don't look at the troubles we can see now or fixate upon that. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now, all this death, all this trouble, all this stuff will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see, the things of faith, will last. What does it say, church? Forever. Forever, he says. Here's what Paul is convinced of, which gave him such great courage. Write this down. Death is not the end of the story for those who have believed in Jesus. Amen? It is not the end of the line. It's not the end of the story. Why? Because Christ disarmed death, and because death has been disarmed by Jesus, our fear of death can diminish. We don't have to live with that fear anymore. This bully of death was set straight by Jesus Christ. He set it straight and put death in its place. Then Paul, who was inspired by God, begins to remove some of the unknowns. And that's why we're so fearful oftentimes is the unknowns and the mysteries that surround it, right? God removes that fear by giving us some things to look forward to. We may not understand every single detail, but we do have some promises from God for those who are in Christ, and these promises give us hope. Write this down. Those in Christ are promised a better life after death. I want to show you that today. Those who are in Christ are promised a better life after death. Now, the original uh, book of 2 Corinthians and the rest of the Bible didn't have chapters and verse breaks like we do, so it continued in chapter 5. Listen to what he says. Chapter 5. Now, listen to the confidence again. For we know, we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. Notice he says again, we know this. We're confident of this. We have this information. We're not just guessing or supposing. Paul is saying this as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit as he writes this. We know this, and he's saying it with authority. In spite of all the mysteries that death confronts us with, which cause fear, notice Paul is not afraid. Fear is absent from Paul at this point because he has trusted in the promises of God, and what God has promised is so much better than what we are currently experiencing at this very moment. Aren't you glad about that? Amen, right? That this is, this, I mean, in, life can be good now. Don't get me wrong, but this is nothing compared to what is to come that God has promised to those who believe in his son Jesus. Here's what, what Paul is basically saying. Write these notes down here. We presently live in a temporal tent. We are presently residing in a temporary structure, a temporary tent. How many of you love tent camping? Raise your hands. You just love it. You can't get enough of it. All right, I knew there'd be some of you in here, all right? Some of you tent campers. And I kind of liked it when I was younger. I've noticed this as I'm getting older. I'm noticing that I'm more of an RV kind of guy. Anybody like that, okay, as you're getting older? In fact, I might just go one better and say I'm more of a five-star hotel kind of guy. Anybody with me there? I'm, I'm all about the resort. Anybody like that, okay? Yeah, all right. I, now, I'd like some tent camping whenever I was younger and maybe my body could handle that. I remember whenever Luke and I went on a trip to Colorado, a trek to Colorado. It was a great trip. Up in the mountains, we camped in tents, and I loved everything about that trip, mostly just being with my son all week in the great outdoors there. But I'm going to tell you right now, sleeping on that hard ground with a root in my back 
for five days, wrapped up like a burrito, just neatly packaged for the bears to eat, you know, and, and wild animals freezing cold all night long, scared of what was gonna kill me whenever I got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom because I am a man that is older than 40, okay? And, and that's terrifying to get up in the middle of the night. And man, I'm just saying, I was over it after one night, just saying, okay? I was, it was one of those nights where I was like, God, will you please speed up the rotation of the earth? I need me some mourning, please, God. You know, and, and, and again, don't get me wrong, I had a blast, but I'm going to tell you right now, I could not wait to get home to my house. I couldn't wait, right? It's, it's all right for a few days, but I couldn't wait to be sleeping in my sleep number bed on number 45. I couldn't, rem I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait for a hot shower. Uh, Jim Gaffigan said the happiest campers are the ones that are going home. That's what he said, right? <laughs> I was good to sleep there for a few days, for a few days, but I couldn't wait for my house. I couldn't wait to get back to my house. Paul was a tent maker, so, so I'm telling you what I'm telling you is biblical, okay, all right, that you, that you need a five-star hotel, all right? He understood that tents were made for the short term. Paul got this. He understood this. He, all right for a few days, but not long term. And he's saying our present body is, is compared, to, compared to this, this mansion of the new resurrection body that God will give us in the afterlife. What he's saying is these tent bodies are temporary. They're temporary, which also means this, that all the problems that come along with them are temporary. Amen, right? What you're going through right now whether it's physical or emotional or, or just the world we live, it's temporary. These tent bodies wear out, they sag, they expand, they wrinkle, they tear. Like when I did my Michael Jackson move when we had the Barneys, I tore my meniscus, all right, back then. And you know, one guy said, we're like furniture, our chest dro is dropping into our drawers. That's what he said, all right? They stop working at some point. You can run marathons. You can do P90X. You can do insanity. You can do you some tie bow with Billy Blanks. Y'all remember that one? You can do all of these things. But you know what? Your body's still falling apart. It's still dying. You can still take vitamin C. Do, do those things. All those things are okay. But you need to understand that these bodies are temporal. Now, now, I will say this, just as a side note, very quickly, is that God did tell us to treat these tents as a temple. But it's not because the bodies are great. You know why? It's because the Holy Spirit chooses to dwell within this tent. Right? So treat it right. Treat it right. He, he dwells within the tent just like he did in the wilderness with Israel, and they were in those tabernacles, right, in those tents. He chose to dwell with them in that. Here's what that means for us. This is our wilderness. We haven't reached our promised land yet. But it's coming. One day, one day, write this down. We will trade in our tent, he says, for a permanent house. That's why Paul could say things like this. To live is Christ, but to die is what? gain. He wasn't afraid. He knew death is not the end. It's not reincarnation. It's not annihilationism. It's a trade-in. It's an upgrade for the believer. 
It's an upgrade is what he says. It makes me think of the theme song from the Jeffersons. I was singing it all week. I'm moving on up, right? I was thinking about that. That that dates me a little bit right there, I know. But, But look back at what Paul says about the new body. Look in that verse again. He says, it's heavenly, not earthly. It's made by God's hands, not by our flawed hands where things break or we don't put them together right, or we don't read the directions, right? It's eternal. It's not temporal. Death is an upgrade for the believer. Death is a trade-in. What Paul is saying is there's so many things that we don't know about the future, but one thing is for sure, he says. We don't have to live in tents forever, praise God. Listen to how different things are going to be, just quickly. We grow weary, he says, in our present bodies. We long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing, for we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. We're not just going to be this ghost that's floating around. You will have a body, is what he says, a glorified body. While we live in these earthly bodies, what do we do? We groan. We sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be, and I love the way he says this, swallowed up by life, not swallowed up by the shark of death that's circling us, but instead swallowed up by life, by life. Anybody this morning tired? Are you tired? Anybody tired? Anybody sick? Anybody sick and tired? Raise your hands. Anybody sick and tired of being sick and tired? Yeah, I bet you are. We won't be like that in these new bodies is what he just says. You won't be that. That's not the experience. When we put on these new bodies, it will be the answer to all of our groaning. It'll be the answer to all of our sighing. I've noticed lately that that as I've gotten older, every time I get up or sit down, I make noise now. Do you guys do that? I noticed that. Oh, oh, oh. Something happens and the body's wearing out. We groan in pain in these bodies. We sigh when our friends disappoint us. We groan when our marriages break up. We groan and sigh because of the job that we hate. We sigh because our, our children go through hardship and we can't fix it and we want to. Right? And we groan and we sigh. That's what he's saying about this world because it's broken and it's messed up and, and we are broken. We are, are tense. We're fragile jars of clay, he says. So what is anchoring Paul in the midst of all of this suffering and removes his fear? It is the faith that he has in Jesus Christ. And it's knowing that Christ has disarmed death and that a better day is coming. This is not all that there is. This isn't it. Praise God. Listen to me, believer. Let this sink in. No more cancer. Right? No more abuse. No more tornadoes. No more crime. No more sadness. No more sickness. No more broken relationships. No more sorrow or tears. Here's the bottom line. No more death. We won't lose loved ones and go through that. Paul says, listen, it's not like I'm eager to die. It's just that I can't wait to put on my new body. I can't wait for what it's going to be like. Swallowed up in life, not in death. 
And, and he goes on and he says this. How can you be sure, Paul? He says in chapter, the same chapter, 5, verse 5, God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us the Holy Spirit. So how do we know that there is a coming day of resurrection? There are two solid answers to that question. Number one, he raised his son Jesus back from the dead. We talked about that on Easter. And if he will raise his son Jesus, he will raise those and not abandon those who have trusted in his son Jesus. Death lost to Jesus. Here's the other thing. He's given us the Holy Spirit as a sacred deposit into our tents right now. That's what he just said. That word uh, guarantee is the word deposit. It's the word down payment. He made the down payment as he has redeemed us. He's, he's paid the earnest money for you with his lifeblood. And he also, he paid for all of it, but he's made the down payment and the promise of what is to come. So when you place your faith in Jesus, at that very moment, God deposits his Holy Spirit within you. And that resurrection, that resurrected body is yours to come when you trust in Jesus Christ. Paul writes this in Galatians, but Christ has rescued us. That word is also redeemed. He has paid for, uh, rescued us from the curse, that's death, pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. Your salvation, when you choose to believe in Christ, it's in three phases. It is you have been saved, okay, from the penalty of sin. That's called justification. That's past tense. You are being saved. That is called sanctification. And that's you're being, you're being delivered from the power of sin or you've been delivered. You have been delivered from the power of sin. That's present tense. And now here is what is to come. We're talking today about what is called glorification. And you will be, that is future tense, you will be say from the presence of sin. So what are these powerful takeaways for us when we talk about this? Here's what it is. You don't get to choose how you die, but you do get to choose how you live, right? You don't get to choose how you die, but you do get to choose how you live, so choose well. Look at what he says. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord for we live by believing and not by seeing. We live by what, church? What is that? Faith. That is faith. Yes, we are co fully confident, and, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body, which all of us who are here, that's us, right? living now or away from this body to be absent from the body is to be present with the lord is what he says our goal is the same and what is it to please him to live for him right now as you're still in this body how do you please him here's what i want to say just really quick in closing is this to you you get to choose how you live why do we wait till we get on our deathbeds to tell people we love them don't do that Tell somebody today how much you love them. That's your assignment. Go out today, you let them know. You have, a, you have an intentional conversation. Don't wait. You say they already know. Tell them again. Show them again. Serve them again. Let your kids know that today. Don't wait. Tell them right now. Live with no regrets. Say, uh, ha, send them an email. Write them a letter. Give them something they can take if you were to pass away tomorrow that they would take away as something that you left with them. 
that they know how much you love them. We know it pleases God when we love people that he's put in our lives. But here's the bigger matter today. How do we please him? We please him by faith. Start living by faith, not by sight. And I'm just gonna say this as direct as I can. If you have never believed in Jesus Christ for your savior, today is that day. He offers you eternal life. There's nothing that pleases God more than when you come into the relationship with him that he created you for. He made you to be with him for eternity. He made you for that. And how do we please him? It's by faith. You don't need to live in fear of death because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. The Bible says we're sinners. And so there are wages because of that or a payment. He paid that price for you and for me. He took my place and your place. Death is what we deserve, but his grace, he offers us eternal life. And this is how he says we have it, if we believe. If we believe in him. He says, I've made the final and satisfactory payment. He says, if you believe in me, I will save you. I will save you. I will deposit my Holy Spirit within you. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Do you believe this? That's perhaps the most important question you will ever be asked. Do you believe this? Have you believed in Jesus? I don't care if you've been a church member all your life. I am not talking about religion. I am talking about have you come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by grace through faith? I believe in you, Jesus. The Bible doesn't teach us this. It doesn't teach that good people go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And the way you are forgiven is when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved if you believe. So I want to invite you to bow your heads with me at this moment. No need to doubt. If you've been living in doubt, stop doubting. Nail it down today. No need to live in fear. Settle it today. I believe this is a holy moment in our church right now. God wants you in heaven with him one day, but his terms are faith in his son Jesus. If you've never trusted in Jesus for your salvation, today can be that day. You can walk out of here with that same certainty that Paul had about what comes next. You just tell him, you don't have to walk down here. You don't have to, you don't have to walk down an aisle. or you, you don't have to, it's through faith in Jesus. Tell him, Jesus, I believe in you. And I accept what you did for me on the cross. I believe you died for me. And I believe you were raised from the dead. I don't even understand it all, God. But I'm going to step out in faith and believe. I believe you can raise me to be with you forever when I die one day. Thank you, Jesus, for paying for my sin and for forgiving me. I want to live with you forever. Today, if you prayed that prayer, I want to ask you to do something. Nobody else looking around. Today, if you receive Christ as your Savior, you prayed that prayer in earnestness before God, would you just lift your hand up this morning and say, Pastor Bart, that is me today. I'm trusting Jesus. I'm stepping across the line in faith today. I'm trusting in the Lord. If you'd like to find out more about what it means to be a Christian, on that Connect card right in front of you, you can let us know. We'd be glad. That's why we're here. 
We don't want you to live in doubt. God doesn't want you to. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the hope we have in Jesus. We don't have to fear death. Where, oh death, is your victory? Where is your sting? Jesus, we love you.